Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great. Thanks, uh, John, very much. If you've lost your car keys, uh, all the best getting home. I might have them. I think they are. We um, put information about what's going on in the life of our church in seven places. So you can find out what's going on by getting the weekly email on a Friday. If you're on email and you're not signed up to that, then get yourself on Church Suite and sign up. If you're not sure uh, how to do that, or you're not on Church Suite, then contact us at the office. But a weekly email, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the website if you want to go old school, listening to me speaking here if you want to go very old school, uh, and that's seven different places where you can get uh, information about what's going on. Just in case you've missed something along the way, we produced that CM update that we talked about earlier on. Make sure you've looked at that, please, would you, in your inbox. And also look out for uh, the mid-year finance report that I will send out by email tomorrow. And there'll be paper copies for uh, those of you uh, that are on the paper stream ready next uh, week. So, all good. Uh, and you will also know that if you're on a rotor, uh, you have the convenience of a text message. Uh, to tell you when you're on a rotor. So hopefully we're getting all the right information out to the right place. So if you're thinking, I don't really get any information, then uh, let us help you access the various ways in which that information goes out. Very soon there will be an eighth way to get information. Because we are exploring on Church Suite featured events. Look out for that. Uh, it'll change your world. If you could help with something that would really bless some other people, would you do it? Turn to the person next to you. If you could do something that would help someone uh, else, would you do it? You didn't even turn to the person next to you, just spontaneously said yes. This new wave of enthusiasm is washing over our church because England are in the semi-final of the World Cup. That's what it takes to bring a nation alive. We are not in any doubt. Okay, now, you need two skills uh, in order to do this particular thing that would bless other people if you're willing to do it. And your willingness was overwhelming a moment ago. So don't lose that sense of willingness. Don't glaze over now as we move into the detail. You need to have a required skill, if it was a job. And then you need to have a, or it would help if you had a desirable skill. The required skill that you need for this particular task is to be able to do this. Can you do that? You can do that. If you can text somebody, then your dexterity is way advanced for this particular job, and therefore you will do it with particular ease and aplomb. Is aplomb a right word? Aplomb. Good. The desired skill that would make it a little bit easier, because that by itself is quite taxing, as you can see, the the particular skill that you need is to have a, a little bit of familiarity with worship music. So if you ever put a CD on at home or in the car or you have some Christian music on your uh, iPad or your iPod or your smartphone or at any time you go, hey, I know that song because you've been somewhere, then this is you. 
And we need your help to provide the words that go on the screen when we sing. Somebody does that. That doesn't happen via the Holy Spirit. So someone serves us every single week by doing that. And whilst it's not a demanding task, if you have to do it a lot, then two things happen. It becomes a bit more demanding than it would otherwise be, and it stops the person doing that particular task from doing something else that their super dexterity might enable them to do. So I'd like you to form an orderly queue at the end of this morning to say, hey, once every month, once every six weeks, I could do a very simple task that would release someone else to do something different. Is that okay? Good. Where should we queue up? It'll be obvious at the end because of the crowds. (laughs) Now, even more important than that, if you could help with something that could change someone's life forever, would you do that? Would you really? We really struggle to find enough people to mentor our young people. We find it hard to find an adult who will give perhaps an hour a week or an, uh, sorry, an hour a month or, or maybe an hour a fortnight, that's all, to communicate like another human being around Christian faith with young people in our church. We would love in this next season to have every young person tied into a mentor. And, and wise old sages are commonplace in all the great films, aren't they? And you can become a wise old sage to one of our young people. And we think, oh, they're not interested. They don't want, they lap it up. There is a loneliness and a vacuum and a desperation that we can help fulfill. And some of you will remember that in your teenage years, that there was a wise old sage that invested in you. You with me? And you remember it now, and at crucial moments, maybe they helped you. And it is not a stretch to say it changed your life uh, forever. So let's form another cue, shall we, after this morning. If we could do something that would change someone's life forever. We finished with Mark. Oh, thanks. Whatever. Yeah, I didn't like it either. Just a load of rubbish. And, um, and because we finished Mark, we're into some different things, and you might have come this morning thinking that Jane was preaching. That shows that our information process works really well, doesn't it? The only trouble with it is that root information was incorrect in the first place. And so our channels were working well, but the content was slightly misguided, and we apologize for that. So after you've queued up for the two tasks that you're going to volunteer for, then you can come on to my seminar, all to do with coping with disappointment, before you go on. Because I'm preaching this morning, and that's just the way it is. But, good news, I'm preaching the sermon that I'm getting paid to preach. Not quite. I'm preaching the sermon that's raising money to send our young people to Romania on mission in October. And if you think, gosh, he did all right at that and want to lob a bit more cash in, that would just be brilliant as well. And uh, that fundraising is going super well. Our young people are working really hard. And uh, when we had an auction of promises a few months back that the interns led, someone actually paid uh, in order to hear me preach. Whereas judging by the offering... You lot think it's for free. That's just a joke. That's just a joke. Funny, but wrong. Slightly below the belt. This is what we're looking at. This is it in the form of a question. 
What is a sacrifice of praise? Through Jesus, says Hebrews, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Praise and worship always, always involves sacrifice. And I'm going to illustrate that in the next few minutes. And as I illustrate the fact that praise and worship always involves sacrifice, let's keep it as real as we can by asking ourselves the application question right up front. And that's this. What sacrifice have I made to worship today? Praise and worship always requires sacrifice. What sacrifice have I made to worship today? There were five Old Testament offerings, acts of worship, five Old Testament liturgies. If you're from an Anglican stream, you have the traditional one and the more modern one, and either of those perhaps felt like a sacrifice to you, one or the other, but they had five in the Old Testament, and we can read about them in that well-known book called uh, Leviticus. And I want to think about one of those particular offerings, one of those particular liturgies of worship that the Old Testament people used as we explore about sacrifice and worship and how they relate together. So Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 3, it's on the screen, don't really need to turn to it unless you think I'm making this up. It's all about the bull offering, the bull offering, unfortunate name when translated into English, but there it is. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he's to offer a male without defect. It's Sunday morning. Church starts at 10.45 a.m. A mystery to some, I know. Church starts at 10.45 a.m. But on this particular Sunday, your alarm goes off at 6 o'clock because your first job is to go and get your bull from the herd. That's job number one. You can't possibly come to worship without something to offer. I mean, how big is a bull? You don't get that close to bulls, do you, generally speaking? You see them in a field and they kind of look quite small. Bulls are massive. Imagine a bull here on the platform. It would be fantastic, wouldn't it? It would be somewhat distracting and it would really shake things up because they're huge and unpredictable and you're not sure what they're going to do next and you probably wouldn't wear red. Is that true or is that a complete myth about bulls? I've no idea. But just on the safe side, you probably wouldn't wear red. And it's six o'clock in the morning and it's drizzling and it's muddy and you've got to get your bull into your trailer before you can get to church on time. Never mind, have I got a clean shirt? Where are my car keys? You've got to get this bull into the trailer to get yourself to church on time. And I don't know about you, sometimes you imagine idyllic Sunday mornings where you get up slowly and you, you take your time and you relax in the sunshine in the garden, you've eaten breakfast outside, uh, and then you're just about to come to church and it all goes terribly wrong because you can't find your keys, or can't find your shoes, you spilled coffee on your shirt, whatever it is, and, and it ends up in a bit of a panic. Have you ever known Sunday morning to end up in a bit of a panic? Way more than every other day of the week somehow, isn't it? A bit of a battle right there to get to church. So you're in the field, it's still six o'clock in the morning, you're in the field and the bull is not too keen on coming with you for obvious reasons. And you're fighting with the bull 
And eventually you get the bull in your trailer or whatever you're going to do, you pull them. I mean, think about it. We think church is chaotic. Sometimes you'll say to me, it's chaos here on a Sunday morning. Imagine if all of us were dragging our bulls up the car park. It would be, it would be, I love the chaos. It just brings the best and sometimes the worst out of people. But dragging our bulls in and you get to the glass thing here and you're dragging your bull in and someone wants to give you a hymn book, a missions leaflet and an offering envelope as you're dragging your bull into church and you're getting your bull to sit down in your pew ready for the appropriate moment in the service. And you come up and you say, when am I on? When am I on? When are me and my bull on? Uh, Our biggest worry might be, does my accessorized Bible match my clutch? Clutch is not a car, it's a handbag. Will there be a space in the car park? Imagine bringing your bull to sacrifice. These guys have taken sacrifice in worship to a totally different level, haven't they? And we're not even talking about the bull yet. We talk about Sunday best. These are my best shorts, I'll have you know, Sunday best. And, and we, we would make some sacrifices to come to worship. But, but what we've tried to do over time is to remove some of those sacrifices to make it easier to come to worship. I'm not really commenting on those, just an, an observation. So when I grew up in school, we had hymn practice. Who remembers hymn practice? What's the, what's the hidden agenda about hymn? If you can't sing it properly, you can't go. And so there were all these kind of efforts that we talk about, the need to, to put in rightly or, or wrongly, until eventually we made a Sunday morning worship a bit like a modern school sports day. You get a prize just for showing up. So you eventually make it. I thought that was funny, by the way. You guys obviously didn't. Um, you eventually make it, and you're pretty exhausted by now because it's taken a whole load of effort. You have had to be fully committed to the process, or you would never have made it into church with your bull that morning. Verse 5, he, he is to slaughter the young bull before the Lord. Even when you get your bull into church, you can't even hand it over to the priest and let the priest do the stuff. You have to do it yourself. He is to slaughter the young bull before the Lord. There's no room here for anything that's half-hearted. It goes on about what you need to do with the skin and what you need to do with the various pieces of the body, and I won't go into all that in case there are any veggies in the room. By the end of it, you are absolutely exhausted and you have been fully committed to the process. Your worship was an all-consuming, totally immersive experience. That's the point. Why was it such a sacrifice? Why such an all-in commitment? Because worship is our response back to God who has been all-in with his commitment to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And the sacrifice of the bull, just a small reminder of the magnificent sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. It is true That we do not have to sacrifice an animal as part of our worship because Jesus was the once and for all. Do I get an amen? Without that, we never would have been able to introduce Sunday best because we'd be covered in the stuff. But there's this new season when that way of life is over, finished. That's what the whole of the book of Hebrews is all about. Nevertheless, worship 
has never lost its requirement of sacrifice. And so even in Hebrews, when he's arguing that the the old way of the sacrificial system has come to an end and been replaced by Jesus, even there he said, you've got to bring a sacrifice of praise. It's got to be an all-in commitment, a totally immersive experience. Because nothing less is worthy of the God who's given everything to you. And we know more familiar, familiar, uh, we know, we know more familiar, 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 what's that word? Commonly, commonly, that's the one. We are more familiar, there, we are more familiar with Romans chapter 12, which links again sacrifice and worship. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because God, worship is always giving something back, because God's given everything to us, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's incredible gift to us, we're going to give back. What we're going to give back, we're going to give bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And maybe it's hard to see where the sacrifice is these days. It can feel like a sacrifice to get here for 10.45. It can feel like a sacrifice to come here every week maybe. But that's not it. What is the sacrifice that we are required to bring for our worship and our praise to be acceptable? Well, Jesus makes it pretty clear in the genius way that only he can. Worship had gone a bit to pot towards the end of the Old Testament. Instead of bringing the best bull in the herd, they would bring kind of a knackered old animal, perhaps one that couldn't run very fast, one that was easier to catch, one that they didn't think they'd make much money of. That will do for God. And they would bring that kind of decrepit animal in as an offering of worship. And Jesus, when he chats very famously to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, they start talking about about worship. Uh, Jesus redefines the whole thing. He said, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers. That is a very devastating phrase. It was not that people were not worshipping. It was not that people were not going to the temple. It was not that people weren't doing the stuff. But Jesus says, if you want to be a true worshipper, in amidst all the other worshippers who by inference and definition are not true, when the true worshippers, they will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and his worshippers must worship in, the, in spirit and in truth. It's a sobering distinction, isn't there? That there can be worshippers, and then there can be true worshippers. There can be worshippers, and then there can be true worshippers. And what's the, what's the difference? This is the difference. The difference is the true worshippers are bringing the sacrifice. Now, what is the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of worship that the true worshippers bring. Well, Jesus helps us understand it. Firstly, we are to worship in spirit. We are to worship from an inner reality. Our worship comes from an inner place and is not defined by an external ritual, an outside external activity. In other words, you put your whole heart into it. 
You see, what can we offer God back? The earth is the Lord's and how much of it? Everything in it. The fullness thereof. It's all God's. It's a, it's a nonsense of somehow, hey, have this back, mate. Because it's mine anyway. But what we can offer him back and what he most desires is our hearts. It's the sacrifice of bringing our hearts. We give him our love. And we know how that works. Um, and we see it in ordinary life. It's, it's, it's the end of school year for, mo- for, for, for everyone in the UK, if, if you're in school. And there will be plays and, and all that sort of stuff. You know, the, the final, you know, the year six play or, or the, the classroom play to mark the end of the year. And teachers love it. They just sit about for weeks, don't they, Matt? Just while the kids get on with it. Uh, it's just another way of getting through the final weeks of term. Uh, just messing about. And, and the kids line up and they sing a song to the parents, right? And let's be honest, it's awful. <laughs> I mean, it is, honestly, isn't it? it's like a way in a manger at Christmas. It's just terrible, isn't it? I know. So you think, what? And all the parents are going, ah, ah. Before GDPR and before photo privacy and all that, all snapping away. Now they can't, ah, ah. And the teacher goes, would you like to hear it again, mums and dads? Oh, yes, you little liars. You just (laughs) want to get out of there as fast as you possibly can. But there is something going on, isn't it? There is a sense in which you do because there's something heart going on. It's not about the song. It's not about the quality of it. It's not about the ritual. It's about something of that's my boy, that's my girl, and I love them, isn't it? And that's why there's a universal cry of, yeah, we'll listen to that again. It's why we stick pictures on the wall around the house that our kids have drawn. Sometimes I look at something on the wall in our house and think, what on earth is that doing there? It's rubbish. But it wasn't then. Because it reflects a moment of one of our children at their various stages expressing something of their heart. And so that picture will stay until it completely disintegrates on the wall, or wherever it is in our house. And so when we come to worship, we can't give God back anything, any more than a child can give back something tangible and meaningful in that sense to a parent. But we give of our hearts. We give of our love. We give of our affection. We give of who we are. And that's what he asks for. He says the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with what? All. All your heart. And with all your thinking, all your mind, all your thoughts, all your passion. And love gets worked out in action and we'll come to that in a moment. The key word is, is all, all of your heart. Let's sing together, shall we? I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice. What's the emotion for you? Where does that song come from as you sing it? We can sing it like it's out there. We can sing it like it's in here. We can sing it like it's somewhere here. 
Love the Lord with all of your heart. Uh, and when we, when we love someone, we give them our, our attention. If we're familiar with giving God our attention in our daily lives, it's, it's so much easier to give God our attention when we gather to, together. So what is it that helps you to give God your attention and to get connected with that sense of love that you have for him? Some of us uh, find love or expressions of love difficult because it's not been part of our earthly experience. It's not been our natural way of, of either being brought up or experiencing love and affection. And certainly perhaps in a, in a kind of church faith context, we've valued faith being quite a private thing. And any expression that's external in some way, uh, we've taken a long time as churches to get used to and to become accepting of. So what is it that helps you to grow that sense of love and affection towards God? It'll need to start off, if you're thinking, I'm not sure it's as strong as it could be, and I want to strengthen it. It will need to start off with an act of discipline. And this is where we get caught in a cycle. It's the same in relationships, family relationships, marriage relationships, friendships, or whatever. We get caught in a cycle that goes, well, I'm not going to do that because I don't feel it. Uh, As if love is an emotion. Love is not an emotion. Love is an act of the will. Sometimes pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, act of the will, and your emotions will follow, although sometimes it might take uh, a while. And, and so with God, I go, actually, when I sing that song, my love's not where it used to be. My, my first love, as we read about in Revelation, has, has got lost a little bit. I'm not quite sure how or where or when, but I, I don't feel as, as, as passionately in love with Jesus as I did some years ago. Uh, what am I going to do to work on that? Well, I'm going to start by giving God my attention. And that begins with a discipline. The discipline of saying, hey, at 12 o'clock every day, I'm going to set my alarm and I'm going to spend a few minutes giving God my attention. Or I'm going to do that first thing in the morning. Or I'm going to make sure that as I begin to drive my car, each time I sit in it, I'm going to spend the first few minutes praying. Some of you desperately need to do that anyway for your own safety and ours. Uh, But you're you're attaching it to something that you regularly do so you can lean into it. So you end up spending more of your day Fixing your eyes on Jesus. And when you focus on yourself, inevitably you just get a pile of worry and insecurities and self-doubt and so on. But as we shift our focus onto Jesus again, as we determine ourselves to face him daily, so our affection for him begins to rise. And you know that that's true, don't you? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. Turn your eyes upon Jesus.
The amazing thing about loving God is it's without risk. Can you remember the risk of asking someone out? The risk that they might say, no. And the bigger risk that they might say, but you're scared. What, what if there is no rejection with Jesus? Isn't that an amazing thing? I can be totally honest and open and vulnerable and who I really am. And he will love me the same. The easiest way, perhaps, to allow this sense of love for God to rise in our hearts is to start by saying thank you. Thanks is mentioned so many times in the New Testament. It's kind of a key that unlocks so many things in our lives. So thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the sun, for the air that I breathe. Thank you, Lord, for the people that I have around me, for the food that I have on my... Whatever it is, always something, somewhere, someone, somewhere for us to be grateful and thankful about. And what starts off as a duty, I will say thank you, causes love over time to rise. Of course, it can go the other way. Sometimes we haven't said grace at the meal table as regularly as we used to because it's become a ritual. Are you with me? For what we're about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. And we say it almost like this means we can eat now rather than this is amazing, Lord. This is food for my body. The people here are are food for my soul. This is your provision. We're so, so grateful, Lord. That's what the grace is really about. And so we have to introduce new things and recapture old ways that, that means that our life is punctuated by triggers and opportunities and stimulants to allow our sense of heart to rise to God. And remember, it's always our response. And maybe the biggest struggle is not for us to, um, to lament the quality of our love for God, but for us to focus, to look towards the quality of his love towards us. Because actually, when we understand the depth of his love towards us, our love rises in response. We almost can't help it. We wish, don't we, that in relating to other people, it was either words or actions. Some of us are good with words and wish it was words. Some of us are better with actions and wish it was actions. And so we'll say, well, I I, I love you by what I do. The trouble with that is the person you're loving usually wants words. Uh, And then this person who, uh, well, listen to what I'm saying, how much I love you. I don't care about what you say. I want to see it, to feel it, to know it. I want to see it in your actions. Uh, And and it's with everything, isn't it? it, We want the world to know some of us because of how good our actions are. And so we think, if only I can behave perfectly, then I don't need to use words because it will be obvious. And some of us use words and our actions undermine those words. And so it's always a coming together of words and actions. It's just the way we've been created, just the way God made us. And so it's exactly the same with worship. We need to find not just ways of expressing our worship to God, but that needs to be in partnership with our actions. And of course, Jesus was way ahead of us in spirit and in truth. The sacrifice of worship is that our worship is an integral reality to the rest of our lives. We're looking for a parent. Whatever you do, work at it with, there's that word again, it's such an annoying word, all, all your heart. 
that sneaky word that stops me compartmentalizing my life. I've come here to worship, and when I've done with worship, then I'm going to have lunch, and when I'm done with lunch, I'm going to sleep, and when I've done with sleeping, I'm going to do the household chores, when I've done the household chores, then I'm going to get ready for the working week, and then hopefully for a nanosecond, I'm going to read and I'm going to sleep, and then I'm going to... And we've got this sort of compartmentalizing approach to our lives. And, and Paul just says, you've got, to, you've got to knock down all of those walls. This is about the whole deal. This is about the whole thing. Worship not just a, a part, but the whole deal. And all of our life can be worship. Because it's not about what we do. It's all about who we do it for. You can be a baker, a butcher even, a baker and a candlestick maker. And you can worship through all of those things. Because you're doing it as an offering to God. You can be a carpet cleaner or a nurse. You can be a home mother raising children or an executive somewhere. A sales manager, a truck driver, whatever it is. We can do it all, every moment. This is for you, Jesus. This is my response back to you because of the life that you've poured into me. What does God want me to do is a secondary question to who I'm going to do it for. You with me? So we spend a lot of time thinking about what, what am I going to do? And the first question is who am I going to do it for? Not what am I going to do, but who am I going to do it for? And so if you're good at repairing things, then go ahead, repair to the glory of God. If you're good at cooking, then go ahead and cook to the glory of God. If you're good at filing things away, then go ahead and file things away. If you're uh, good at whatever it is, go ahead. Because it's about all, all that we are caught up in this act of worship, the whole of life. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone, every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. Lord, have your way in me, because, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you. You can clean the garage to the glory of God, and some of you ought to. You can sweep up and make the beds to the glory of God. You can wrestle with your employment to the glory of God, putting your heart where your actions are. Isn't that an amazing thing, that as we take the ordinary everyday lives and we make them acts of worship, what does it say God does when his people praise him? It's a psalm, Psalm 22, maybe 24. What does he do? He he inhabits, he lives in, he dwells in, he makes his presence known in the praises of his people. And we pray, don't we? Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So your kingdom come right now where I am, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, with my family, with my friends. Lord, your kingdom come. And we pray. And, And if we make those moments acts of worship, he promises to fill them with his presence. That's a remarkable thing. We can decide tomorrow, same job, 
but a new purpose and ultimately a new boss. And he inhabits the praises of his people. You see, sometimes people will say at the end of a Sunday, that was a great time of worship. Was it? What made it great? Was it a great time of worship because I liked that particular style? Was it a great time of worship because I knew all the songs? Was it a great time of worship because I learned a song I didn't know and I really liked it? Was it a great time of worship because it's only a great time of worship if it is a mirror to what's going on in our lives? Are you with me? That's the only thing, ultimately, that makes it great. If our hearts are in it, and it reflects what's true of our lives. Just like you might say, that was a good sermon. It's only a good sermon if we go and do something about it. It cannot just be a good sermon by itself. This cannot be a good worship moment just by itself. That's a nonsense to the way God has made us And created us. The sacrifice of praise is not to drag in a bull, but it is an equally all in immersive experience. The message puts it like this back to that Romans chapter 12. So here's what I want you to do God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. This is for you. And the way I show you that it's for you is because of the attitude of my heart out of which come the things that I say and what I go on to do. That's what it means to bring a sacrifice of praise. Maybe it would be easier to go get that bull after all. This is all in for the one who's given all for us. Let's be quiet together. So does it connect up for you today? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Where's your heart today? Love the Lord your God with all of your strength. Where do I need to go and live differently this week so that my worship might be more true 